So friends, just as a brief introduction to our scripture, maybe you've caught on to the theme for today. But last week we heard about the first of the Gospel of Mark's stories of Jesus offering a healing, or in last week it was casting out of an unclean spirit. In that, we talked about how the particular setting of that story, the synagogue, which was the community gathered for worship, led us to think a little bit about how there are things that can wound both the body and mind of us as individuals, but also can wound the communities that hold us, and sometimes sadly cannot hold us, and sometimes the communities that bind us in ways that are unhealthy. There, Jesus stepped in and drew this man that had been pushed out as unclean and drew him into the center of Jewish life, the synagogue, in a way that drove out the spirit that bound him and separated him from his community. And that was healing. Today, there will be a different kind of healing. Jesus, having done the public show, will now give the kind of, you know, living room house show version of this. Today, Jesus goes home. So listen. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening, at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, And the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place. And there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you, he answered. Let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. So who has held your hand when you've been not well? Who showed up? Who refused to let you go? And did you know God was there when they did it? I don't mean the sweet kind of hand-holding. I don't mean the kind that comes with, you know, the holiday that's coming up on the 14th. I mean the kind of holding that you do when your hands shake and worry and fumble for something to grab onto when there are white lab coats in the hospital and disinfectant smells and clipboards and when they leave. When bad news comes riding on wings. Because that's where we begin today. God wanders into a home where it sure seems like life is hanging in the balance, where hands are longing to be held. And Jesus takes and holds and lifts and everything is restored 
And it is a miracle. And we have the first round of loud questions. How? And really? And if these kinds of stories land with a thud for you, well, let's name in the back of all of our minds there may be silent questions that drift by our consciousness too. Why this miracle? Why not my miracle? Because I want to name for us today, all of us, because it really is all of us who have held a hand that we have had to let go to disease, to age, to death. All of us can mutter and shrug senselessly or even rage at these healing stories in the Gospels. Because depending on how you read them, every miraculous healing is one that didn't come to our beloveds, to their precious hands, the delicate strands of life that bound them to us until we had to achingly let them go. Because these stories can taste like metal in the back of our throats and sting and burn until we are left with less faith, less assurance, less love. And well, we're going to have to read these stories better if they are going to tell us of Jesus who came that we might have more faith, more assurance, more love, not less. So Jesus comes to the house of Simon, Simon Peter, and he brings a couple things with him, I think, today. So let's start with this. Disease as the scientific and biological category that we know of today did not exist in Jesus' time. He did not know about bacteria or viruses. That just wasn't part of his life. Most commonly as here, Jesus' healing practice dealt with symptoms that were commonly known to people, but not really diseases. The most common word that we associate with being a disease in the Gospels is leprosy, but it's about 100 years before that would be linked up with the actual disease that we now call leprosy. It's really talking about a kind of conglomeration of skin ailments that the people of Israel were afraid of. Jesus didn't think about diseases. And so his healing is not about curing diseases. It's about healing people, which I'm going to contend is different. Simon's mother-in-law has a fever. First of all, just a little pull over to the side to go. Fun example for us. Simon has a mother-in-law, which means we know what about Simon? Married. He was married. Just in case anybody ever tells you that you, know, you can't do religious life and be married. There you go. <laughs> and I'm back. Simon's mother-in-law has a fever, but there's not a lot of clarity about what that means. There is an implication that Jesus is doing something meaningful, though, when he takes her hand. Because even in his time, people knew that people with fevers tended to give other people fevers. Houses and families were often isolated. Certain diseases and certainly unclean spirits, as we talked about last week, meant that individuals and sometimes whole households would be turned out from the community when they most needed connection. If you have been ill for a long time or cared for someone that has been ill for a long time, you know this, right? Because we have 
you know, an identified spot where sick people go. They go to the hospital now. You know the odd quiet of hospital wards, the ways in which you can kind of come to memorize the contours of those particular ceiling tiles, the timelessness of being in the hospital. I always tell folks that it's very hard to have a sense of how time is passing in the hospital, even for those of us that are really like cognitively sharp. It's very disorienting. You can't really build your life off, off of the 3 p.m. nursing shift change. That doesn't do it. And so we know how much it means when people cross into that space that is so isolating and so lonely and empty and timeless. People come and they hold hands. And that changes things. And indeed, Jesus comes in and holds the hand of Simon's mother-in-law and something changes and lifts. And the house that has felt so heavy no longer does. He brings her compassion and connection. And I would say that is a thing that we all need. This is shocking how much I find this to be true. I'm going to say this out loud and you all will hold it in your hearts and you will never ever be people who do this. But I watch people do incredible giving into community. They're depositing into the banks of their community all the wonderful gifts that they have. And they are so reticent to ever draw from that account. If you have ever been someone who has gone to visit someone when they are in need, please do me a favor when it is your time. Call on your community. Let us come to visit you. Let us hold your hand. Jesus holds that hand and he lifts her up and he lifts her into something more, into service. Simon's mother-in-law, lifted up, held by Jesus, begins to serve. She rises from her sickbed with a purpose. Now, If I could offer a gentle critique to Mark or Jesus or whatever is about to happen right now, I would just say, I wish that we had a different example of this service because our modern sense of equality and equity makes this story land hard. The woman who has been ill ends up serving Jesus and his disciples. And for us, I think we kind of read this as like Jesus and the disciples are the college kids that have come home and they don't know how to make a sandwich themselves. So I get that from our perspective, this lands hard, but I also want to say maybe she is an example for all of us. Rather than being an example of how gender was really painful in that time, maybe it's an example for all of us. She is is the example. Because the whole point is that all of us should actually be yearning to serve Jesus, right? And maybe we can say Simon Peter's mother-in-law was smarter than everybody else. (coughs) And leapt to it. Purpose is important. A reason. A way to serve. That does change things. So many people tell me in the midst of illness. And even in the final stages of life. The things that drive them. That give them meaning. That make life full and rich. Are the things that give them energy. That move them forward into each new day. So yes, indeed, Florence Nightingale created modern nursing, but she also wrote reams about 
flowers, color, light, beauty, and purpose changed the lives of people who were ill. She told one story about a person who was told that, well, she could, you know, be in a ward for the rest of her life, or she could go out and garden for the time that she had left. She went out and gardened and lived longer than most. The garden was the place that was calling. Walt Whitman spent lots of time visiting folks in the surgical wards of the Civil War and noticed the ways in which the wounded and the sick, by bringing gifts, by sitting with them, by writing their love letters for them. So P.S., if you're looking for like a great antiquities market to find, the ghost-written love letters that Walt Whitman wrote your great-great-great-grandfather would be a really fun thing to find. I think for many of us, some years ago, Atul Gawande wrote Being Mortal. How many of you read that at the time? Yeah, it was probably a read here at church at some point, right? An exploration of how doctors and caregivers, but really all of us, need to reevaluate the ways we talk about what makes our lives meaningful with ourselves, our families, our caregivers. Because it turns out that will be the difference between what feels like illness winning Versus life calling us. To this day, I know that my life and ministry are enriched by serving next to Mark Rona, our local palliative care doctor, whose practice invites people into discussions of their deepest values and allows them to live those out in the healthcare choices that they make, but also in the things that they do with their family. In all of these things, I swear to you, I have seen healing, not always in the way that we would want, not always in the diagnostic sense, never in the way that can forever sidestep loss and death and grief. That's just the ride we're on, friends. But that can bring wholeness to ourselves, to our families, to others. This week I was reading the Reverend Dr. Sarah Drummond, who's the dean of Andover Newton Seminary at Yale these days. I was struck by her reflection that if you could only preach on one word in this story, it would be this one. Everyone. After he sneaks away, the disciples say, everyone is looking for Jesus. Because it turns out, you don't need to have a disease to need compassion connection, and purpose. We all need that. Jesus' answer to his disciples is he has to go to all the neighboring towns and teach and preach. At one level, his hiding out for quiet, this kind of dark scene where he pulls away from the crowd, seemed to point us to this. Jesus seems to have been deeply concerned about being interpreted as only a healer a singular magic man working the kind of miracles that we all hope for, the illness removed, the pain erased, the bacteria eradicated. The beauty and the challenge of Jesus today is that he does not offer cure in that way. He offers healing. He offers wholeness. He offers us all what all of us need, compassion and connection and purpose, that we might have healing and life and miracles even, not in the way that we might long for, but in a way that will transform us and our communities and the world, if we can be touched and lifted 
and called into loving service. Then yet will God reach through us and touch others and lift them and call all creation into the dance of God's unending love. And then no one will take our joy from us. Amen.